0: Hey everyone, Cody here. Just wanted to give you a heads up that what you're about to listen to is a special bonus episode recorded from our live show at the Dead of Winter Festival on February 10th. We will be back again with our next St. Louis episode on March 6th. So just a reminder, this is a live, unedited cut of the podcast, so listener discretion is advised
1: and the mysterious mineral springs on February 10th, 2018. What you are about to hear, mistakes and all, is the sole responsibility of the podcast hosts who take full blame for the disaster which may or may not happen. <laughs> Mary Lambert was a beautiful young girl, a perky and vivacious senior at Deerfield High School. Her light brown wavy hair was cut fashionably short and her minister called her the most lively girl at the Lake Forest Presbyterian Church. She had had a happy life and spent most days with a smile on her face. She was the treasured only child of Frank Lambert, the head gardener on a nearby estate owned by Chicago clothing millionaire Jonas the Or Joseph Kuppenheimer, which is really his name. Sorry. Oh, no, that's wrong, too. Um, Okay, we're going to try that line again. Uh, She was the treasured only child of Frank Lambert, the head gardener on a nearby estate owned by Chicago clothing millionaire Jonas Kuppenheimer. The Lamberts had a nice home on the estate and lived a good life. Kuppenheimer, like many of the other clothing manufacturers of the era, were doing very well making uniforms for the warring armies in Europe. He paid his employees well, so the Lamberts always had food on the table and enjoyed simple luxuries. Marion dressed well and planned to go off to college in the fall. Marion was happy, and perhaps the only thing that made her even happier was the young man in her life, Will Orbit, a college student who was three years older than she was. Will's father was also a caretaker. He had worked on a nearby estate owned by farm implement tycoon Cyrus McCormick. The two families had known each other for many years, but the friendship between Will and Marion had turned to romance after he began sending her letters from Madison, where he was studying journalism at the University of Wisconsin. The letters were only flirtatious at first, but they soon turned serious. In April 1915, he wrote to Marion, I want to see you dearest and want you badly. If I could only get my arms around you now and get up close to you and kiss the life out of you, I would be happy. This was the early 1900s version of sexting. After Marion's death, people would recall that Will was not content with mere words. When he came to visit, he sat scandalously close to her on the sofa, insisting on holding her hand and kissing her in public. (laughs) I actually put Kissinger in my notes here. I do a lot of editing on the fly. That one just kind of tickled me. Okay. Marion (laughs) Marion resisted his advances at first, but Will refused to give up. Slowly, she began to give in. In September, 1915, he came to visit her in Lake Forest and took her for a ride in his car. They stopped and went for a walk in the woods, eventually finding a secluded spot in the forest where they made love on a blanket. Marion was soon dreaming of a wedding, but Will almost immediately lost interest in her. Times have not changed much, have they, since 1916. (laughs) His letters became short and he often told her he had no time to write. In November, he received a tearful note from Marion. She feared she might be pregnant. Will immediately turned cold he was angry and stopped just short of calling her a liar. He insisted that he could not she could not have become pregnant because they were only together one time. However, he did go and see a friend in a pharmacy school, and he mailed Marion a potion that was meant to relieve her of her delicate condition. He was determined not to be trapped, as he called it, by Marion. She wasn't his only girlfriend anyway. A friend later testified he had several others, and he had no interest in marrying her. Will was already engaged to another young woman, a chemistry teacher in DeKalb, Illinois, and he was not going to let Marion trick him into a marriage that he didn't want. By the time the holidays arrived, Marion undoubtedly knew she wasn't pregnant, but it's unknown whether or not she told Will that. She wanted to hang on to him as long as she could. She believed the two of them were meant to be together. The new year came and went, and on February 6th, 1916, Marion celebrated her 18th birthday at a spirited party that was thrown by her best friend, Josephine Davis. Two days later, while Josephine was at Marion's house, the telephone rang. And Marion left her friend in the sitting room while she went into the hallway to answer it. The call was from Will Oprit, and he likely still believed that Marion was pregnant with their child. Josephine later said that Marion was a little upset when she returned to the sitting room. She later changed her story on the witness stand, stating that Marion was confused and that she was greatly depressed and distressed. She even testified that Marion had told her, If Will throws me over and marries that other girl, I'll kill myself. Why did Josephine change her story? Marion's parents, along with several other friends, said that Marion had seemed happy and untroubled in the days leading up to her death. She never said anything to them like she reportedly said to Josephine, but if she didn't say it, why would Josephine lie? This piece of testimony remains one of the lingering mysteries in the case. On the morning of February 9th, Marion, wearing a bright green coat, walked with Josephine to the station where they usually took the train to Deerfield High School. But when they arrived on the platform, Marion decided not to take the train. She told Josephine that she had to go to the post office and mail a letter to her Sunday school teacher. She told Josephine, goodbye, old pal, I'll see you later. But that was the last time Josephine ever saw her friend alive. That evening, Frank Lambert went to the train station to wait for his daughter. Marion had told her parents that she was going to a party after school and would return on the 8.05 p.m. train from Highland Park. When the train arrived though, Marion was not on board. She was not on the next train either. Frank waited for over an hour before he drove to Highland Park. Her friends told him that Marion had not come to the party. In fact, she'd not even been at school that day. While worried, Frank returned home. He and his wife spent a sleepless night waiting for Marion to return, but she never arrived. Finally, just before dawn, he couldn't wait any longer. He returned to the train station to look for any clues as to where Marion had gone. He stumbled around in the dark looking for footprints in the snow by the light of burning matches, but it was just too dark to see anything. He finally left and brought a friend back with him to help with the search. When the sun came up, they found a line of footprints leading away from the station and into the woods. There were two sets of tracks, one small and one larger. The two men followed the trail into a small clearing, and there, under three oak trees, Frank spotted a bright patch of green in the snow. He let out a cry and ran toward it. He discovered Marion lying in the snow. Her school books were tucked under one arm, and the letter to her Sunday school teacher was still in her pocket. She had a glove on her left hand, but her right hand was bare. It was stretched out away from her, and on her red, ice-cold palm, Frank saw a smear of white, powdery crystals. Marion's lips were bloody and blistered, as if they'd been burned. Marion's body had to be thawed before an autopsy could be performed. In the morning hours of the next day, Ralph Dady, the Lake County State's Attorney, held a press conference for dozens of reporters who were looking for information about the tragedy. Dady told them, We are confident Miss Lambert was poisoned. We do not know if the poison was taken with <laughs> suicidal intent, or whether it was administered by someone else. We believe a man was with her when she died. We are bending our efforts toward locating that person, and when we do, we believe the motive of her act will be explained. The police had searched the woods where her body was discovered, but found no trace of the bottle that contained the poison. The coroner stated that Marion had swallowed cyanide, mixed into an acidic solution. This had caused the blistering around her mouth and had left behind the white residue on her hand. Will Orpett was immediately suspected of being the second person in the woods with Marion that morning. The police didn't find him, though. The first person to track him down was a reporter for the Chicago Tribune. He found Will at his rooming house in Madison. He told the reporter he was shocked to hear of Marion's death. Shocked, I tell you, shocked. Okay, I just added that in. He said they had been friends. They wrote a few letters, but they had not been involved in anything serious. In fact, he said he really just recently sent her a friendly note that wished her good luck with some upcoming exams and expressing regret he would not be able to come and visit her soon. Will had indeed mailed just such a letter, but the rest of his story was a lie. As detectives dug into Marion's life, they found that the affair between Will and Marion had indeed been serious, especially for Marion. They discovered that she believed she was pregnant after their encounter in the woods and that Will sent her drugs meant to cause a miscarriage, even though he claimed he was not responsible for the pregnancy. The police searched the post office and found the innocent letter that Will had just sent, but at Marion's house, they found a very different one. It read, Dear Marion, Joe has told me that you've been pretty sick. Just got word yesterday morning, hence the delay. I hope everything is all right and that you will soon be up and around. I'll try to get down to see you probably the 9th of February, and we'll call you on the evening of the 8th. Remember the dates. If everything is not all right by the time I see you, it will be. Leave it to me." The discovery of the letter led to Will's arrest. While locked up in a cell, detectives sent in a reporter who pretended to be another inmate, hoping to get Will to confess to something. When that didn't work, he was grilled by police officers, prosecutors, and private detectives. He was questioned for hours in Madison, then brought to Lake Forest, where they walked through the woods where Marion's body was found. They even forced him to stand on the side of the road and watch as her funeral procession passed by on the way to the cemetery. Will talked, but his story changed several times. He did admit he'd had an affair with Marion. He loved her once, but his feelings changed. He also admitted that he'd been intimate with her once, and while she told him that she thought she was pregnant, he didn't believe it. He was right about at least that one thing. The autopsy proved that Marion had never been pregnant. Will told detectives that he had come to Lake Forest on February 8th at Marion's insistence. She told him that if he refused, she might kill herself. He agreed, but came in secret because he said he did not want his parents to know that he'd left school. He called her from the train station, but Josephine Davis was at the house and Marion told him that he couldn't come over then. So they agreed to meet the next morning in the woods near the train station. They walked for two hours before stopping near the three oak trees. Marion pleaded with him to stay true to her, but Will refused. He planned another marry another woman, he told her, the chemistry teacher with whom he'd fallen in love. He said Marion was crying when he walked away. Is there no hope? She called after him. Will didn't answer. He simply kept walking. After a few more steps, he heard a small cry. And when he turned around he saw that she had fallen into the snow and her body was violently shaking moments later she was dead terrified of a scandal he told the police he ran away and took the first train back to madison well the detectives weren't convinced by his story why had he written that friendly letter to marion that he said he was unable to come to lake forest if he wasn't trying to establish an alibi They also discovered that Will had recently purchased an empty medicine bottle from a pharmacy clerk just before he left Madison. He refused to explain this. Things looked bad, but the real evidence of his guilt seemed to be revealed when the police searched the greenhouse of the McCormick estate where Will's father worked as a caretaker. As they sifted through an ash heap in the basement, they found three large clumps. Airball or something (laughs) as they sifted through the ash heap in the basement they found three large clumps of cyanide crystals they were enough state's attorney ralph dady said to kill a whole high school of girls which is like the best line ever Um, (laughs) will was locked up in a jail in waukegan illinois three weeks later he was indicted by a grand jury for marion's murder the state's attorney vowed to send her killer to the gallows in jail, Will kept insisting that he was innocent, but there were a lot of things he couldn't explain. Like why he had rumpled his bed in Madison when he left so it would look like he'd stayed there all night instead of coming to Lake Forest. Or what happened to the medicine bottle he bought on the way out of town. Detectives couldn't link him to the purchase of any poisons, but they insisted that he could have easily obtained cyanide from the greenhouse where his father worked. The case went to trial on May 15, 1916. State's attorney Ralph Dady faced off against three high-priced defense attorneys who had been hired by Cyrus McCormick. They had a tough time picking a jury. The people of Lake County were still in shock over Marion's death. It took 23 days and over 1,200 potential jurors to find a dozen men who said they could sit on the jury and review the evidence impartially. In his opening statement, Ralph Dady told the jury that he would summon witnesses to prove that Will had murdered Marion Lambert because she was a threat to his future. He stressed that he would combat the suicide defense with testimony showing that the girl had left home on Wednesday morning in excellent spirits and happy with her life, not depressed or thinking of killing herself. That was pretty much the high point of the trial for the prosecution in the first 15 minutes. After that, things went quickly downhill. Dady's star witness Josephine Davis changed her story on the stand. She told the jury that Marion had threatened to kill herself, if Will left her for another woman. Dady knew this was not what she told the police and asked the judge to allow him to present her earlier statement. Josephine explained that at first she had been hostile and vindictive toward Will because he broke her best friend's heart. But now she saw things in a different light. she had initially lied to the police. Marion had been deeply depressed and suicidal, so, well, she must have killed herself. Marion's parents, along with several friends, refuted her testimony, but the damage had already been done, and then got worse. One classmate testified that just before Marion's death, he had found her alone in the high school chemistry lab where cyanide was stored. When Will took the stand, Dady was convinced that he could break his story. He was merciless cross-examining him for 19 hours over the next four days. will spoke in a sub- they did things just a little different back then um, will spoke in a subdued monotone voice and admitted to terrible things he'd romanced seduced and tossed away a fragile young woman. He was a liar, denying everything until the facts were thrown in his face. He was also a coward he said it and abandoned his one-time lover's body in the woods rather than seek help for her because he was worried about how things would look. But he swore he was not a murderer. Marion had taken her own life when, she told him that the, when he told her that the relationship was over. He had not provided her with the poison that she used to commit suicide with. Will's testimony made for great drama in the newspapers, but the case really turned on the facts that were offered by three chemists hired by the defense. Marion had been killed by potassium cyanide, the kind that could only have been found in her high school chemistry lab. The poison recovered from the greenhouse where Will's father worked was sodium cyanide. That single fact clinched the case for the defense. The jury took three ballots, the third of which was unanimous, and on July 15th, Will was declared not guilty. He walked out of the courtroom that day, leaving many unanswered questions behind. If he really was innocent, then why set up an elaborate alibi for himself to make it look like he never left Madison? Why did he meet Marion in secret? Why did he purchase that medicine bottle, and what happened to it? We'll never know. No matter what the jury said, people continue to speculate, speculate about what really happened in the woods that day. Many people, not content with the claim that Marion killed herself, feel the case has never been solved. Will Orpitt vanished into obscurity after the trial. He never finished college. Within three months, he had left Lake Forest, and records show that he enlisted in the military and served as a sergeant in the U.S. Army Air Forces during World War I. Some stories claim that he later became an oil wildcatter and a cowboy in Wyoming. In 1920, under the assumed name of W.H. Dawson, he was briefly in trouble in Chicago or San Francisco rather, after he abandoned a 19-year-old bride whom he had lured from Detroit. After that, Will stayed out of the newspapers until he died in 1948. He was buried in a military cemetery in Los Angeles. And that should have been the end of the story, but it wasn't. The death of Marion Lambert left an unsettling mark on the annals of true crime in Illinois, but it's also left a mark on the region's supernatural history, too. Over the years, a strange story has circulated about a stretch of Sheridan Road in Lake Forest, near the site of what used to be Barack College. It was close to this spot, in 1916, that Marion's frozen body was discovered by her heartbroken father. The story of the road and telephoned for help, believing the girl might have been in an accident, but before she could dial, she saw something truly out of the ordinary. The lights from her car seemed to pass right through the girl, as if she was not even real. And when the car pulled up next to her and the driver slowed down to peer out of her water-streaked window, the girl smiled displaying ruined teeth inside of a blackened and burned mouth. It looked as though she had swallowed some kind of burning, acidic poison. The ghost stories have continued for years, often recounting such frightening details as a spectral girl's short brown hair or the terrifying burns around her mouth and lips. Is the eerie specter of Marion Lambert still walking the road near where she died, refusing to rest until her case has finally been solved? Or does her ghost still wander in search of redemption for taking her own life on that bitterly cold February day? We may never know. But for now, Marion's restless spirit remains as a chilling reminder of a girl who died many years before her time.
0: Everybody can breathe easy. and you know. <laughs> thank, thank you for sitting with us through that. That was the best. That was the, best. the least amount of cursing too I have yeah. ever heard. I don't know why.
1: I don't know why. It just went easier. Actually, because I messed up a few times and I just kept on going. So I figured, hey, it's live. So no sense in starting over again needs you all to come back every Yeah, every week, <laughs> so it's going to get really so crowded amazing. in our recording
0: area, <laughs> but, you know. Yeah, I want people to see what I have to deal with <laughs> yeah, on yeah. a bi-weekly basis. Oh, jeez. Okay, well, hey, anyway, thank you all for joining us. It really means uh, the world to us. Um, I looked at some of the numbers right before this. We have just about 60,000 downloads and 100 reviews on iTunes, and cool. that just means... So much for, for an idea. For a just, hobby. Yeah, just for so, a little for side fun project. that we
1: just thought we'd do for the heck of it. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, let's dive in. Uh, so welcome to American Hauntings Podcast, where we discuss history, hauntings, legends, lore, and all things paranormal. You're listening to a special episode of the podcast, recorded live at the 20th Annual Dead of Winter Festival in Alton, Illinois. I'm your co-host Cody Beck and with me my co-host is author, historian, crime buff and founder
1: of American Hauntings Troy Taylor. Yeah, who you've heard a lot from me already, so yeah. I won't go too much on that. But yeah. um but yeah, thank you. Thanks to Cody for getting this together because we came up with this idea to do this recorded live well, I say we. I came up with this idea that we should do this live recording and Cody went uh, okay, how are we going to do that? So we really, and and this seems very simple up here because Cody made it look simple. Um, It it really, we did, he did a lot of work on this, putting this together and making sure that this was going to work and that we would be able to actually record it. Now the bad news is nothing has recorded. So, no, I'm kidding. Just kidding. So I just tried to to scare Cody actually. So
0: this guy. No, it's because your intro earlier at the beginning of the show almost implied that I I don't know what I'm doing. No, it didn't, and, and that just is one hundred percent accurate. Um, yeah. yeah, So I, I thank you for that. Also, uh, I love getting a little history lesson on Mineral Springs. I actually I wasn't going to go to McDonald's for lunch, but now I am. Yeah, I'm down now that I know that's where the slaughterhouse was. So.
1: <laughs> well, anyway, but thank you. Thanks to Cody for for getting all this together. Thanks to all of you guys for uh, to come and hang. It out because i mean this could have been uh one segment where you could have definitely have found something better to do so we appreciate you you sticking with us on this um, we, we appreciate you listening. And for all of you who raised your hands earlier, I'm not going to ask you to do it again because um, we're, we're going to talk about that at the end of the, the podcast. Um, but thank you for all who have been listening so far to the show. Uh, like I said, it is something we just started doing for fun. So the fact that, that people are actually listening to it shocks us every week. It's amazing. Uh, because really, honestly, we get together. It is It is a way for us to get together for an afternoon and... I'm sure some of you have noticed, some of you who know me have noticed when you listen to some of the monologues that things get a little slurry at some points. There is a lot of alcohol consumed during these recordings um, because they go on all day, literally all day sometimes. Well, I, started, so, I started taking a drink every time Troy messed up, and yeah, then I couldn't drive. Then home. He couldn't drive, home, so he had to stay at, stay at our house. So, yeah, that didn't really work well. So we kind of had to fine tune just a little bit. Sometimes we record down here at the Best Western in town. We we just because we know we don't have to go anywhere. So. I don't even know how the podcast gets finished, but... I don't either. At one time, we actually had like 11 people in one room recording the podcast. Some of you may have listened to that. It was the last episode of the Alton podcast. Complete chaos. I mean, it was utter chaos, but Cody managed to get it put together. Uh, and we had Ricky's help on that one. Cody's brother yep. helped us get part of that together too. So anyway, we should get into this episode because we, otherwise, we will just shoot up here and shoot. Just shoot. We should. So it's not, I, yeah.
0: Well, the last thing though, I was just sitting right up there at the beginning, and then a dog came up to me, and that was the best <laughs> surprise. Oh, like, dates, it, had there yeah. been a a beer cart person come through, and the dog, <laughs> I, I would have chosen the dog. Anyway, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm really, I was just really excited about that. Um, Yeah, so, okay, let's dive in. So usually what I do in the beginning of these is I give a little summary because, um, you know, a lot of times you can go back and listen to the episode, listen to Troy's monologue.
1: Or if you've dozed off at some point during it. I do all the time. I'm like, wait, what are
0: we talking about again? So February 10th, 1916, high school student Marion Lambert was found dead in the woods. An autopsy would later reveal the cause of death as poison, but whether she did it to herself or was forced by someone else uh, that she longed for is still speculated. So... It's pretty much like the worst version of Romeo and Juliet that I have ever yeah, heard. Yeah, it's pretty bad. From what I, from what um, I understand. You know,
1: we, we always, and we do this with every episode because, well, that's just Cody and I, um, what we tend to, you know, try to lighten the mood a little bit. I mean, what's light about this girl committing suicide or being murdered in the woods? Nothing. Right. Um, so, you know, we, but the story itself sometimes, some of the stories that we tell that we work on it with these, with these podcasts, the stories are so horrific and just so bizarre and so strange that you can't help but just be dumbfounded by some yeah. of the things that go on. And, you know, I didn't, I, I tried to cut this, it's actually a much longer story and I tried to cut it down so that we could, you know, do it as a, as a piece and, and still talk about it. But some of the things that went on in this, um... You know, he he looks bad. Will Will looked bad uh, in the whole thing. I mean, he played a a pretty bad role in the whole thing. I mean, it's obvious to those of us looking at the story in hindsight that this it, he was just trying to get in her pants. I mean, I think that's obvious, no. um, except no pants in 1916, her dress. Her dress. Um, but yeah, her, yeah. So, you know, I mean, obviously he really wasn't that interested. She was a childhood friend that he'd known for years, went away to college. I'm guessing, um, not, I mean, he, he his friend said he had several girlfriends. Uh, but you know what? There's no, there's no way I can sit up here. The greatest unsolved mystery of everything involved in this case is what runs through men's minds. And I cannot explain that for you. I can't explain what she must have been thinking or what he was thinking, but he obviously took advantage of her. Um, and, and obviously she was a fragile, she had fallen in love with this guy and I'm going to guess may, I, I, I shouldn't say unstable. Um, she was you know, 18s a very young girl, head over heels in love at a very dramatic time. I
0: think eighteen-year-olds, in, 18, history, 18 year think, in any capacity, especially those head over heels, are definitely unstable. Yeah, and, and it, it was a
1: time period where she really thought she was going to marry this guy. Yeah, and you know, the, I mean, it's it's. Feasible that she might have committed suicide and here's the thing she had lied about being pregnant all along That that all that turned out to be a lie. She was never pregnant. I suppose it's possible she could have thought she was mm-hmm. um, Because it was 1916 there wasn't a lot of education there were, there were none in schools at the time about things and maybe she thought she was pregnant or maybe she knew but by Christmas She definitely knew that she wasn't pregnant anymore, but never told him and at her autopsy they they said no that she had never been pregnant um and had never told him so that's a not a strike against her but it kind of leans more toward this thing that she was thinking that you know they were meant to be together and if he thought that she was pregnant he might marry her and then he still wasn't going for it in fact he things got worse from there he was going to send her something to try to have a miscarriage which was the most condom, I, I, just, I just actually finished reading a book about another young woman who'd been murdered by a guy. This is really great reading material I've got here, but another young woman that was murdered by a guy who got her pregnant. She actually was pregnant, and it, it actually went into all the explanations for how at this time period in the early 19th century, or into the 19th century, early 20th century, the common methods of abortion at the time, Um, Most of those were chemically induced and that's probably what he was doing at a friend in pharmacy school um, They came up with something that she could give that she would have a miscarriage and and this was a lot more common than most people think you know again you think oh that was such an innocent time it wasn't any different than it is now it's just it wasn't now it's on the internet and everywhere that you look and things like that weren't widely available. There was a pornography that was widely available back then but it was out there you know um, the red light districts you know we're all segregated um, you know bordellos and brothels were doing big business at a time that we were supposed to be <laughs> such a more innocent country so you know the fact that I mean it doesn't say anything bad about this this, this young woman that she slept with him. Um, it's that I think she was so in love and thought that that was going to be the answer to everything and that they would get married. And, uh, I often, by some of her actions think that it's possible. Maybe she did commit suicide because everything she tried had failed and he just told her, listen, it's not happening. But yeah. he also did a lot of stuff where if she did commit suicide, I still think he may have planned to kill her if she didn't right. because he set up an entire alibi for himself. You know, and there's still the question of that medicine bottle, which he never did say what happened. He stopped into a pharmacy and bought an empty medicine bottle. I mean, what else could you be doing with it other than finding something to put in it?
0: Right. Well, I mean, there you there know. are definitely a few red flags uh, on
1: both sides. Well, he also say- had access to the high school. That's the thing. Well, he had these, That's yeah. what I was. I could never understand reading through the, the material on the trial. Is they're saying, oh well, it, it it's not the same poison. It's not the poison from you know his the, the greenhouse. On the estate, it's a different kind of cyanide. It's the kind they had at the high school. It was his high school too. They were next door neighbors. He went to the same high school. And I'm gonna tell you, I really doubt it was all locked up very tight in 1916. It's not locked up that tight now. Right, so I mean, he easily had access to the same poison that she did. So right. if I had to, if I mean I'm 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 giving you both sides of the story or, or what could have happened, but what I honestly believe happened is that he killed her. Well, you, I think he told to her yourself. it was something too you know, get rid of the baby, and it was poison. That's right. What I well, you're, you're, I mean,
0: dick move, but you're, you're getting ahead of us a little bit. But, oh, okay. I got really... Yeah, you so kind of jumped to so the so end almost so. So, so, in April 1915, Will wrote just to Marion.
1: start talking. I'll just talk. I
0: know, I know. See, this is what I deal with. It's trying to cut down the guy who can talk all day. So, Will wrote to Marion. I want to see you dearest, and want you badly. If I could only get my arms around you now, and get up close to you, and kiss the life out of you, I would be happy. And you mentioned this is the early 1900s version of... Sexting.
1: Well, yeah, How passionate do you know about sexing. Passion? Well, I'm just guessing. Uh, it's just what I've right.
0: read on the internet. Uh-huh. So, Got it. Okay, so at first, Marion was, uh, according to her friend Josephine, at first, Marion was a little upset after speaking on the phone with Will on February 8th, but in court, Josephine claims that Marion was confused, greatly depressed, and, dis- and distressed, and she even said, if he leaves me, I may kill myself. You know, that kind of seems like a red flag.
1: Yeah, well, I know, but we don't even know if she really said that. Well, yeah, and I'm kind of wondering problem. what... was she the only her story? Person. Was she coerced? What, well, she originally... I know, that's a good question. That's another good question, because she originally told the police that, um, you know, Josephine seemed uh, a little upset by the phone call, but then they went right back to conversation, you know, talking about the party and all that kind of stuff that they'd just been to. And because um, Josephine had thrown that party for, for Marion. Um, but then... At trial, on the stand, she completely reversed her testimony, and there's no, there's no explanation as to why. Um, she said, originally, I was angry at Will because he broke my best friend's heart, uh, but we don't know why she then started to defend him. And she did it with the newspaper press, too. Um, I didn't get into all of that. Uh, but she did it with the newspapers, too. So, oh, you know, he wasn't such a bad guy. You know, um, you know Marion just took it all too seriously. Um, we don't know why. I, I, I have no idea why she would change her story. Uh, Marion's parents didn't see things that way, neither did any of her other friends. Who had just been at a birthday party with her, and none of them said she seemed upset or depressed about anything. Right. Um, You know, I I don't know. I, I just keep thinking that, you know, she's told this guy that she's pregnant, and she just keeps trying to play this story. And what was she, maybe she thought whatever he was giving her. I'm sorry, am I getting ahead of this again? I mean... Well, I I, I think that maybe whatever he gave her, and he said, oh, this will get rid of the baby, and she thought, well, you know, I'm not really pregnant, but what harm could it do? If I take it, I'm not pregnant anyway, so what's it matter? I'll just go ahead and take it, maybe he'll still want to be with me. And she took it, and it killed her because he had no, you know... And had set up this whole, oh, well, she was suicidal defense. Yeah.
0: No, so he's terrible. And then so, so her dad eventually finds her in the woods, which, you know, after looking for all night, which yeah. is terrible. And yeah. cops, of course, immediately suspect Will. And they find a conflicting letter from him at Marion's that states, I will try to get down to see you probably the 9th of February and will call you on the evening of the 8th. Remember the dates. If everything is not all
1: right by the time I see you. It will be, Leave which it makes to me. me think that he's still. Another red flag, pregnant. right? Yeah, <laughs> right. Um, you know, there the the other letter that I mentioned and I didn't put in any detail because it was so pointless. And innocuous but he had mailed a letter to her to say oh hey sorry I'm not gonna be able to make it down and he mailed it the postmark was after he got back to Madison so this guy was not exactly a you tell criminal me crim- mastermind. criminals are stupid yeah this guy was not really a mastermind here um, I mean he left all kinds of, of trails behind and I think that he could sit in a cell and, and say to the detectives and to the state's attorney I hey, listen I didn't kill her because in his mind he didn't. She took the she took the the, the medicine thinking that it was gonna cause a miscarriage. That, this is my theory. I mean it's just a theory, but that's what I think. And so he could say, well, you know, I didn't give it to her, she took it herself. And that's how he justified it, I think, to himself. I mean this guy was a sociopath. He's just a child, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean yeah, he, yeah. I mean he was definitely, you know, had several girlfriends, had a girl he was engaged to marry, you know, five, six people he's juggling at the same time. And um, I think he really didn't want anything to screw things up for him. Right. And now here was a girl coming around saying she was pregnant. Yeah,
0: you know, he throws so. a wrench in his plans. Brian. And so, so they, the cops suspected him. Detectives actually, they interrogated him for 19 hours over four days, which I don't even want to talk to people for
1: 19 well, that, minutes over four days. That was a trial. It was actually 23 hours straight interrogation you I couldn't couldn't do it now remember in 1916 when the police interrogated you there were no Miranda warnings back then there was no there were no court cases that protected you from the police so all of those stories you've heard about rubber hoses and the third degree and phone books and and all that was true and it all happened Uh um, like last year in Chicago but that's beside the point Uh, but um, back then you could do that stuff legally if you were a police officer, you could get it a confession. I mean, you could still lie to to criminals or defendants when you have them. You can make up all kinds of stories and get them to confess the things. But back then, you could just beat the living hell out of somebody to make them confess. And when they did, that held up at trial. It's a very Um, very Russian Russian way of doing it. That's why a lot of that stuff happened. So detectives sent in
0: in a reporter to the cell undercover to try and get a confession. Well, Um, that
1: was a desperation move.
0: Yeah, Yeah. and if you've ever watched like Wrongfully Accused, it's a very- uh, Yeah, it's it's a a very common method that they tried. And they even forced him to stand on the side of the road and watch as the funeral procession passed by on the way to the cemetery, which is just right. brutal as hell, whether he did it or not. Uh, it's intense. So, okay. So, okay. So, so we're running short on time. Um,
1: we want to be able to take some questions. Yeah. Yeah. We want
0: to take some questions. The last thing I want to talk about, um, is that, so the state's attorney Ralph. Uh, Dady. Dady said that the Sinai there was enough. He said to kill a whole high school of girls. And you mentioned this. I love that this is his unit of measurement. Yeah, Actually, yeah I know. Right. He's like, oh, this would have been to kill good, the class of three. That was a
1: that was a great press move on his part. It, that really inflamed people. It just. It's like the best line ever. It, it really and it's is. It's like out of a 1950s, you know, film noir, you know, right. high school of girls. Right. You
0: know, so, so he's weird. found not guilty, and now, uh, you know, her ghost haunts that road where her body was found. And I I don't understand. If If I am driving and I see a woman on the side of the road, as long as she's in a formal dress, I pick her up. You know, a gentleman <laughs> that way. I'm just saying. She's been there. Anyway, uh, so that's that's most that's all that we have for today. All Is long that long how he met you, Leah? Oh yeah. Yeah
1: yeah. 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 She hangs out by cemetery. Yeah.
0: That's just it's how it goes. Well, it so we want to take some questions. Um, they can be about this story, They or can whatever. be About whatever. <laughs> they can be about general. They can be about how I deal with Troy. They can be about <laughs> Troy's <laughs> dealings with the paranormal. Um, whatever you want. Any questions? We are we are open open. Sharon
1: sure. sure, has Yeah. Do you want to come up? I can. Re- okay. I can well, we it. can repeat it back.
2: Um, I just have a comment uh, about her friend Josephine mm-hmm. that maybe at some point he made some kind of play for her, and maybe that was why. That's a good Right,
0: so maybe Josephine was uh like, was like a love yeah. triangle. Sharon, yeah, Sharon. Yeah,
1: Sharon mentioned um, from the from the audience that that her friend josephine that it kind of made sense that maybe she had been involved with will or maybe he'd made a pass at her at some time uh, but for whatever reason she decided to protect him later on doesn't makes it sound a lot like of doesn't sense. sound like will yeah it doesn't does he seems like such a nice stand-up upstanding up guy young man, so it's very very possible yes Is there
0: any <clears throat>
2: She said, is there any evidence on what the letter said to her Sunday school teacher?
1: As far as I know, um, it it was never reported. I've never seen anything about it. Um, As far as I know, it wasn't anything. I mean, it was, um, things were so much more formal back then. And I think she probably wrote just a letter about something to do with services on Sunday. I mean, it was Wednesday morning when she disappeared. For whatever reason, she had sent a letter To the teacher, and no one ever commented on it. It never, I mean, it it was only mentioned in the newspaper, in that it was still in her pocket uh, when they found her body. Yeah, (laughs) Tony Express (laughs) Nah, nah, she had never even got mailed So we'll never know, we'll never know And I love, I love
0: the, uh, right before she leaves To go send that letter She tells Josephine, she's like, well, see you later, pal
1: Yeah, yeah, I'll see you later Which, yeah, but it's, that, but again That's one of those things that makes you think Well, she didn't plan to commit suicide Why would she, of course, you can't believe anything Josephine says anyway that's true. the other problem. Now we found now, out I'm she's, very a, now now. she's a liar, too. So yeah, Now, for all her. we know, she was in on it. Oh, so now we're getting carried yeah. away. So you have Another question? Uh, you see, it sounds like
2: possibly Josephine might have been, you know, maybe she was a killer. They would rule her out. Ooh. Ooh, okay. Well, I like well, we it. Now, yes. Susan, Susan says, I will option is this. Josephine involved? Maybe she could have been the murderer. Because her story was changing, yeah, maybe, maybe she, she was, was jealous. jealous. Now I'm convinced. Oh, girl no, drama. Uh, horror, do you have, answer?
1: No, mm. have an answer? questions. No,
2: That's interesting. because uh, it it's the right age group really for that kind it. of drama, yeah. <laughs> boy drama. Too.
0: It just got it's a Weezy. Yeah, just slightly better than Romeo and Juliet. The
2: the Let us yeah. know. I have three of those. Any other, Any other questions? questions? And it doesn't have to be about the story. If there's just a question that you've been wanting to ask Troy or, or Cody, I'm sure. Yeah, lots
0: the bathrooms are back Cody. there. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Did anyone, when, at the beginning of the story, you said Jonas uh, Kuppenheimer? Yeah. Did anyone sing Jonas Kupenheimer?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's a surprise. I, I, I actually June wrote it down because so, I
2: was like, yeah. oh, well, that kind of fits. That's yeah.
1: Funny. Yeah.
2: Okay, that's neither here nor there.
1: Uh-huh. Yes? Do we know if the pharmacy student friend ever actually supplied the board
2: or not? The question was do we know if the pharmacy friend ever supplied any of the Relative
1: materials or not? Will never identified his pharmacy student friend. So the police never found out who he was. Um, I guess they couldn't like the like the medicine bottle. uh, They couldn't beat that out of him either. Um, We never found out who he was. We only knew that that's what he told Marion is that he was going to ask a friend who was a pharmacy student at University of Wisconsin to provide a potion Um, he he may have never have done it because you know he got this medicine bottle which he never said anything about for all we know he poisoned her in the first place and there never was a potion but he claimed that's what he was doing and that he was going to get it for her and bring it to her Um, and that's what she took so or I, I think that's what she thought she was taking was this potion and figured well you know if I am pregnant fine and if I'm not it's not gonna hurt anything so
0: Will's just okay. not snitching on his drug
1: dealer. Okay. Right, yeah, right, exactly. But he didn't give up the name of his dealer. So um, yes.
2: I was thinking about at the end of the story talking about the, the ghost happenings and what people have been seeing. Yeah. And it's terrifying what you guys talked about. The blackened and burned mouth. Mm-hmm. And you hear all the ghost stories sometimes of and you love Children ghost stories. Yeah, so this is my favorite. Kids They're fucking the kids with the black eyes. <laughs> yeah. This is like a step up from that. That yeah. is children with the blackened eyes squared as a blackened I'm gonna have to mouth? stop
0: picking up people on the side of the road now
1: after you explain it's it that way
2: she probably appreciates
1: oh, yeah, yeah, that actually it's funny because that is the one thing about this story that I can picture in my mind yeah is somebody looking into the window of your car with a big grin on their face with you know rotten teeth and black gums and all the burns and yeah, that's not good. It's intense, that's too,
0: because we've taken terrifying. some like moonshine shots before, and you feel yes, that stuff right at the beginning. And and it's it like, is, how could
1: you not? Ah, yeah, yeah you entire really episodes go. of the podcast, as a matter of fact. Yeah. Okay, well, we should probably um, – actually, there's, there's one other thing before we, we do the, the outro on this, uh, just real quick that I wanted to do. And, and earlier I saw a show of hands. How many people uh, listen to the podcast? Okay. How many of you have iPhones? Okay, get it out right now. Get out your iPhone. Find your – well, I'm going to I'm get to please. Find your <laughs> podcast. Find your podcast app, the purple app that says podcast. Click on it. In your library, find American Hauntings Podcast. Just back square. You got it right there. I just somebody to show me. And if you haven't done it already where it says reviews, go down where it says five stars. <coughs> That will help us tremendously. So that is my, that's my community service yes. help right there, and thank you for doing it. If you did, thank you, and if you have left us a review, thank you for doing it. Um, we don't really care about the reviews, although we have had to cut out some things out of a couple of episodes where I make fun of yeah. bad reviews because, like, the guy... Okay, well, never Dude, mind. I no, guess no, now hey, we can, now can we just cut it out again. No, 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 no. no. No, but we all, we all I'm gonna say reviews. is Mark Twain. And that's yeah. all I'm gonna say. But we do so we find do, the review it's hilarious. We do so. read
0: the reviews and we really yes. appreciate it. Uh, we take the feedback into consideration, even though I don't always do anything about it, but we do really appreciate it. Um, and yeah, thank you very much for and listening.
1: And we are working on the audio. If you listen to the last episode, it sounds much better. Bill Bill even told me. There's it sounded better. There's no we no. in so, this. Okay, that was Cody, but this is me. Yeah, I don't work on any of the audio. Um But Bill even said it sounded better, so that's a positive thing. So, okay, let's ready. You've got the last piece. All right, awesome. Okay, so the American Hauntings podcast
0: is a way to combine historic record, folklore, science, and observation, and imagination to uncover more about America's most haunted places, including everywhere, honestly, at this point. American Hauntings is a bi-weekly podcast. You can hear new episodes every other Tuesday, so please tune in to hear our latest episode and help us take a brand new look at history and hauntings. You can learn more about our podcast and find new episodes on iTunes by searching for American Hauntings or by going to AmericanHauntingsPodcast.com, where we also have links to some of Troy's books as well as information about his upcoming ghost tours, events, and haunted happenings. As for your host, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at CodyBeckSTL or at CodyBeck.com. Please say hello. I'm I'm in the market for new friends, and I'm happy to talk to you about whatever you want. I have a lot of interest. Ghosts, pizza, that's pretty much it, but whatever you want. (laughs) Find Troy on Instagram at Troy Taylorgram or on Facebook at the Troy Taylor author page or at AmericanHauntings.net. This episode of the podcast was written by Troy Taylor and was produced and edited by me and kind of all of us because you're all a part of this today. Uh, some of the music of this episode was written by my dear friend uh, Charlie Brockus and it was recorded at Lighthouse Sounds in Alton, Illinois. Thank you all again for coming. I really appreciate it. Thank
1: you guys it. very much. We appreciate it. We're gonna do this we're gonna do this again at the Haunted America Conference. We're gonna do this.